happy holidays and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. And here we are in week two of uh, our holiday season. (laughs) You know, we do this every year uh, and we make jokes about it every year, but honestly, I love doing these uh, holiday (laughs) horror movies. (laughs) 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 I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. And when we were talking about This year, you know, now that we've been doing this for 400 years, (laughs) um, you know, we, we talk about this leading up and, and today's movie is actually one that I saw sometime during this past year, uh, randomly. I, I've said on the podcast many times that on days when I have lots and lots of grading to do, I'll just put on bad, schlocky horror movies in the background that I don't really have to pay much attention to, but that keep me entertained and motivated to keep working. And this is one of those. <laughs> um, but, but, <laughs> I, you know, like, the movie was playing and I was kind of half paying attention and then... It got more into it, and, like, I just kept getting drawn into it, and by the end, like, especially by the last half hour, I had just completely abandoned the grading altogether, and was just like, <laughs> what? What am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? And so... Uh, what we're doing today is Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. now the silent night deadly night series is infamous of course you know the first one caused a huge uh, i don't know outcry amongst parents and things and uh people were just mortified that Mm. anybody would have the audacity to tarnish the sanctity of Christmas and Santa Claus. And <laughs> it, it was crazy. Huge protest. Got it pulled out of theaters after just like a week or two or whatever. And, but that also, of course, uh, raised interest. Uh, and the film got a big cult following. And then they did a second one, which was trash. Like, people have requested that we do the second one. We haven't done it, have we? No, we haven't. And part of the reason that we haven't is because... I think something like 80% of the second one is just flashbacks to the first one. Yeah. And, and there are some, like, campy, iconic moments in the second one, but we haven't gotten there yet. Maybe someday. Um, the third one I've seen, again, a direct continuation of the original story. And then we get to Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, which is basically the Halloween 3 of mm. the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. Because up until that point, they had all been about killer Santas. And this one is not. <laughs> Definitely not. Not at all. This This movie doesn't really have... It has a very tenuous, maybe, connection uh, to the earlier movies in that Clint Howard is in this movie and he plays a character named Ricky, who is one of the central characters of all of the first three movies. It's unclear if he's intended to be that same character or not, but there's at least the name connection. This movie is just... That shit crazy. crazy. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself with the review, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This isn't a good movie, but you should definitely watch it. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
I mean, there's something slightly more charming. I don't know if charming's really the right word. Charming is not the right word. There's definitely something a little more intriguing about this movie as a bad movie than, for example, what we reviewed last week. Yes. What we reviewed last week was just bad, 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 and not even in a fun way, right? Right. Not, not much in a fun way. This movie, just your jaw is on the floor. But I don't know. It's not necessarily like my jaw was on my floor, but I think I just burned a hole in my head from scratching it so <laughs> much because I could not for the life of me figure out what was going on throughout most of it. Also, my God, talk about slow pacing. Yeah. Not just the plot was slow. The scenes were slow. And not just the scenes were slow, but like the lines were slow. The space between the lines were slow. If I were to go in here and re-edit this film, I don't think it'd even be an hour. (laughs) Just to make it move at a pace that doesn't feel my grandma in her walker. But it adds a very surreal quality to it. As the movie was going on, I was thinking, hmm, is this a little smarter than I'm giving it credit for? Are they playing with me a little bit and trying to evoke a certain kind of surreal, unreal quality with this movie? And that's why everything is so odd and stilted? Because, like, the acting isn't so... There's a different kind of bad acting, right? Right. There's a hammy bad acting, which, like the Witchboard series, right? Has right, this yeah. hammy, over-the-top, terrible community theater-type acting. This movie has good actors in it. This movie yeah, it has does. pussy galore is in this movie. Yes! <laughs> no, no, not it's not pussy galore, it's octopussy, isn't Octopussy, it? octopussy, you're yes, right. Octopussy is which in this is movie. maybe my favorite Bond name ever. Yeah. <laughs> and... That one girl who just always plays the mousy kind of secretary. With yeah, the weird from voice. Moonlighting. Yeah, from Moonlighting. She's in Alice this. Alice Beasley. And the older woman is in a, a billion things, you know, and, and is a long-standing, well-loved actress. It's hard to believe that all these people could be could be invited to be in this film, let alone act the way they do. And so I just thought, oh, it was. I was thinking back to society, right? Because... And and you didn't you didn't even need to tell me that the people involved in this movie also made society because right. it's the same surreal kind of stilted acting same style of special effects screaming Mad George same kind of weirdness like you don't know what the hell is going on but in society we reviewed that and we we thought it was a little genius right? yeah we thought that all of that really served the purpose of the story. Uh, they were purposely going for this surreal quality, which which fed the theme of the movie and made it a little more unreal. And it just really drew us in in that way. And then the payoff at the end was, was fantastic. <laughs> yes. This movie feels much more like a spiritual sequel to society yeah. than it does to Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> um, it's the same director, Brian Yesna who directed society which again is such a maybe one of the weirdest movies i've ever seen but like i couldn't tear my eyes away from it mm, yeah. and and this this one isn't quite as wild like that one goes way over the top and apparently society was made first and, and then 
Yuzna made this movie, but I guess this movie was released in the States like two years before Society was released in the States. But Yuzna, like, yeah, he did Society and he did some of the reanimator sequels, but he also was like a major player in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids <laughs> franchise. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it is. It's nuts. Um, and, and this movie, uh, is nuts too. But like you said, it, I had forgotten that there were so many recognizable people in this. I mean, you've already mentioned some of them and all of those people, like, you know, that, that woman that you mentioned, uh, Alice Beasley, who is this mousy kind of squeaky voiced woman. She was never like a huge star, but she was around a lot in mm-hmm. the late eighties, early nineties. And this movie came out in 1990. And it feels like perfectly 1990. Like, you still got shades of the 80s, but I feel like, you know, things are taking a little bit of a turn into kind of some more 90s territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great product of its time. Somebody you didn't mention, Reggie Bannister, is in this oh, yeah. movie. From um from Phantasm. Yeah, from the whole Phantasm franchise. Franchise, yep. Uh, Hugh Fink is a guy who has a little tiny supporting role in this, uh, but I recognized him. He was on SNL and in many other things. And the guy that plays the male love interest, Hank, his name is Tommy Hinckley. And it only took me a second to place him. I think I don't, I didn't even look at his page because in my mind, I placed him. He was in one of my very favorite eighties movies back to the beach <laughs> with Annette Futicello oh my and goodness. Frankie Avalon. Avalon. <laughs> wow. Love that movie. But just tons of people that you're going to recognize, and yet it is so surreal. Kafka-esque, crazy town. But you're right. It takes its time. It takes its time, and there's a lot of buildup, but then the last half hour, like, it's just such a a big payoff, and it's crazy! Like, yeah, honestly, your jaw is on the floor, like, what is happening? And why? <laughs> yeah, and, and there's not, it's not that nothing happens in the first hour. Things are constantly happening, and, and there are little... Mm hints at at very strange bizarre stuff going on but it's really in the last half hour that it smacks you in the face the movie kind of ignores the typical three-act structure in most movies the the problem the core problem that we're going to be faced Mm -hmm. be facing and and that the character has to solve is well established a third of the way in there will be some twists and things in act two there will be the compounding difficulties and whatever but at least by the first 30 minutes of an hour and a half movie, of which this is, we should have a good idea of, oh, these are the stakes. This is what's going on. And this is not the case <laughs> in this movie. In the first half hour in, and you're still meeting people, and there's sort of this, this, this reporter, and she's investigating a story, a spontaneous combustion, and you're meeting more people, and there's some weird ladies, and even an hour in you're finally suddenly getting a notion of what might be happening, but nothing's really solidified. So uh, I thought that 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 was what made me so impatient about it. And you're right, things keep happening, but they keep happening at such a slow pace. I mean that scene for scene, the scenes are just drawn out to a ridiculous degree. 
now that you say that, I I see it. I I didn't really think about it when I was watching the movie though because <sighs> there were enough things. Now, to be fair, I will say that you know once things kind of started to happen it was a little repetitive like this woman kim once things kind of start happening with her it gets a little bit repetitive like you know something's going on but it's kind of the same stuff for a while but i was never bored there was always something going on gosh before we jump into the plot um i told you i said don't look in, look at anything. Don't read anything. I didn't. Don't watch. Good. <laughs> because I went into it totally blind, too, and I expected it to be typical. I, like, I'm pretty sure that I watched Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, which is fine, but lame. Does it have a killer Santa in it? The the third one? Yeah. Okay. yeah oh, yeah. It's nuts. Um, Bill Mosley, I think, is the killer Santa. And if I remember, he's the killer Santa from part two, but they have him in a hospital and like his brain is in like a glass dome on top of his head. <laughs> what? <laughs> we, we should watch it's that one nutty. Too. <laughs> next year. It's nutty. Um, wow. But that's what I was expecting. I was just expecting another silly slasher and this is totally different. And honestly, this all takes place at Christmas. Christmas, and there is some Christmas stuff going on. It's Barely. not the most Christmassy movie that we've done, but Sadly. I don't care. Yeah, uh, it's still fun. But you're right; it doesn't follow the typical structure in this movie. Like the main complication happens in the first minute. We see this bum who ends up being Clint Howard, who I thought was just going to be a, like a cameo. Yeah, turns out he actually plays big role uh, in this movie and i like clint howard and i appreciate that clint howard knows that he's a weird looking man (laughs) and embraces it and plays these nutty characters but even at points in this movie there are times when he's almost charming like he's he's not a good guy really in this movie but ultimately in the end you almost kind of feel like he's being manipulated and used to and um you see a little bit of humanity in him but he's just you know just naturally as a person he's kind of crazy eyed and weird looking yeah he often kind of has this sort of vacant duh stare on his face right like Uh like things are happening to him and around him and he's trying to take it all in but his brain doesn't move fast enough you know it's kind of like that that seems to be his character in a lot of these horror movies yeah and, and i've seen him interviewed with his brother of course you know very famous director Ron Howard. I, I've seen them um, interviewed together, and they're both very charming. And you know, Clint Howard seems like an intelligent, charming man. Oh yeah, but he plays these, you know, off the wall characters, and and that's what he's doing here. Like, so we just see him. He's a bum on the street, and he's like eating garbage that he finds on the street and stuff but he hears a commotion up high and he looks up and on the roof of this building he sees a woman and she seems to be in distress but you can't really tell what's going on you like you hear her say no or like i'm not gonna do it or something like that and then she bursts into flames and falls off the building yeah and and he runs away as you know the first responders show up and then you get the title credits which i thought were really good kind of 
artistic and yeah (laughs) yeah they were but it well it was but the imagery was imagery that recurs throughout like it's significant imagery and I, i thought it was pretty good and then the very next scene is very in keeping with the Silent Night, Deadly Night <laughs> uh, tone, where you have a attractive, naked couple having aggressive, fun-looking <laughs> sex. sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of sex you have when you're really young and in shape. <laughs> and in shape, yeah, and your back is still good. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is Hank and Kim, who are our main characters. And honestly, like, this is the only kind of, I don't know, like, for the most part, I feel like you could, sh- you, anybody could show this movie on basic cable and be fine. This opening sex scene is not terribly graphic graphic aside from the fact that the actors are clearly nude like yeah i I don't know how all that movie magic works i know there are like socks and things you put in little barriers for Yeah. yeah but seriously when i see this type of thing i just don't understand how actors do it like (laughs) i can't imagine it's very impressive being that naked (laughs) And, like, they are literally joined at the pelvis for this whole scene. I don't know. I don't think I could do it. (laughs) Anyways, so they're they're banging in a motel, and they see a report on this dead woman, and it turns out that they both work at a newspaper. And Kim is low on the ladder. She does, like, the calendar, and she does... The classifieds. The classifieds, right. But she wants to do this story but as soon as she brings it up to her editor eli played by reggie bannister um he just totally disregards her hi eli hi this would make a great story spontaneous combustion yeah this sort of thing's been documented uh it's kind of bizarre some good material there well, you know, maybe we should do something on this. Yeah, I was thinking Hank, that maybe I... Hank, why don't I... you jump on it? I, it could be a lead-off on a cover piece, you know, like, uh, incredible, unexplained mysteries, you know? Hey, a woman just died here! This is bullshit! Oh, Kim, uh, classifieds. Um, have you gotten them posted today? Yes. Good, good. Come on in, guys. Listen, I've been working real hard around here. You know, I haven't seen anybody work harder their first month. Eli, maybe... Oh, um... Could you make some fresh coffee, please? Thanks. It's supposed to be, like, commentary on sexism in the workplace, and, and the whole movie kind of has that undercurrent of that social message what i would say is it's kind of heavy-handed in a very amateurish way yeah like the dialogue in this film is pretty bad i mean it's 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 all right on the nose to the point none of it's very clever fairly economical hank is also discouraging her He's like, ah, oh, no, probably not. And then they're supposed to have this relationship, but he doesn't really care Mm-mm. at this point that right in front of him, that the story that she wanted, 
he was given and he didn't even fight about it. And just was like, okay, well, you know. And then the boss comes out right at the end and is like, oh, by the way, can you get me some coffee? You know, I mean, there's this, yeah. this is so typical. Okay, we get it. She's the woman. She's feeling oppressed and, and you know, feminism. You know, the, I think the yeah, whole movie right. is, is trying this. And don't get me wrong. That's great. I, I appreciate that. Um, it's a good message, but it's all very ham-fisted. <laughs> it is. It, it's very heavy-handed. Again, like you said, not to say that these aren't real issues that women face and have faced for a very long time, but it is very heavy-handed. But I do think the movie is trying very hard to push a feminist agenda. N- again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it does seem a little... It's just doing it poorly, yeah. Well, and the other, I don't have, I, I honestly, I didn't expect this to be a good movie, so I didn't have any high expectations. Yeah. But they really cast the lead, Kim Neath Hunter is her name, and she really didn't do a lot. And I'm really not surprised because though she's very beautiful, she is not a very good actress. No. As the lead, she's probably the weakest actor in the movie. And, and I thought that her performance got better as the movie went on, mm. and. <laughs> Comparatively, you know, if, if we look at other movies that we've reviewed, she could win awards for this role yeah, compared true. to some <laughs> of the performances that we've seen. But I don't know. She's just a, a little wet behind the ears, I think. Whatever. Anyway, so uh, Janice, Alice Beasley, works in the office. I, I'm not sure what she does. She's sitting at a desk. I don't know. But she gives Kim a lead. And tells her uh, what street all this happened on. So Kim goes to the scene and starts asking questions. And she talks to a butcher. Oh. And the butcher... I mean, yeah, do you want to talk about the bloody the butcher. Peanuts? He's like, he's like, uh, he's supposed to, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they were going for comedy. Some of it was supposed to be comedy. Some of it's just roll your eyes. I mean, it's not as bad as Mickey Rooney and Breakfast right. at Tiffany's because this guy actually is Chinese, right? Right. But he's this big, overweight Chinese butcher coming out of a shop and he speaks, he clearly can, is like Chinese American, like speaks perfect English probably. Right. But he's right. being forced to affect a fake, broken English accent that is so fake that it just made me roll my Did you see what happened last night, the girl who jumped? Did you see that? And I'd help but see it. Live upstairs. Too much noise. Siren, police, reporter. Who was she? She's not from around here. She burned. Scorched real good. Nothing left waste out. And the whole time he's chatting with her, and at the same time she's trying to get peanuts out of a, one of the little peanut dispensers, which she says, no work. At the same time he's chatting with her, he bangs the peanut dispenser a little bit, gets a bunch of these peanuts out in his hands, which are grubby and absolutely covered with blood. Like, okay, <laughs> this is how butchers are, right? They just walk around all day with blood all over their hands, all over their, their shirt and everything, right? And then hands those blood, those peanuts over to her. And that was kind of cute and funny. But uh Well, it's funny, like he he's barely worth mentioning, but and again, you know, spoilers galore. He does come friends, in later. But he does come in later. One of the things that I like about this movie is that ultimately everybody's in on it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say, it subverts your expectations in every scene. (laughs) 
I don't know about that, but like I and and it's not even like that they play major roles, but really pretty much everybody she meets outside of her own circle and even some of the people in her own circle yeah. know what's going on and are actively part of it. And this this butcher ultimately is <laughs> which worked for society because that was kind of the point of the movie for this film it it's just dumb <laughs> i don't know i thought it was funny well it's funny um, but i mean it's like well i guess they could only afford to get the actors who are going to have significant roles right <laughs> there aren't many extras in here oh no no it's a very small cast yeah. and and the other thing about the movie too which which is another reason why stylistically it's so close to society, and I think this is how Brian Usen attempts to direct his movies anyway, is that the whole film is lit almost like a television sitcom. Mm -hmm. It's very brightly lit. All the indoor scenes and outdoor scenes, there's a backlight kind of glowing around the, the back edge of their hair, and I mean... Everything is starkly lit, very beautifully, not at all what you typically see in a horror movie. So it kind of adds to the unreal nature of it a little bit, but also kind of makes it look very fake and movie-like. Yeah. The, the movie very much takes place in, like, New York, I think. Is it supposed to be New York City? It's I don't know. It's kind of all very urban. City. Urban, generic city setting. We get on rooftops and we're down busy city streets and uh, in the park, you know, the Central Park type area and whatnot. Right. But it doesn't have a gritty feeling to it at mm -mm. all. It almost feels like uh, the city shot as the suburbs. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And it's all, it's all, it's, it's mostly very bright. It mostly happens during the day or in well lit areas. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, there is some stuff later that takes place in interiors that has some interesting lighting but uh, most of it my favorite part about this is when she's doing her investigation she walks by the scene and the chalk outline of is the still dead there. woman is still there <laughs> but like they didn't even finish the chalk outline because the lower half of her body had like burned the sidewalk <laughs> so there was like an ash outline for the bottom half so like they didn't even bother with the Oh god, oh, hilarious. Yeah. And so she runs in she goes into this bookstore that I I guess is where, you know, right outside where this woman jumped or whatever. And she runs into that bum, Ricky, and he wipes something on her coat like Yeah. I, well, I didn't know like he if he touched... was wiping a booger or if he was <laughs> marking her or something. <laughs> he touched the body earlier cuz the body, you know, when the body body was was burning up, he kind of touched it and got burned. And seemed very surprised by that for some reason. I don't know. It seemed like it was the same ash or whatever on his fingertips that he was smearing on her butt. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, I thought that was weird, but she freaks. She freaks out, and then she meets uh, FEMA, the bookstore owner, who's played by Maud Adams, who was Octopussy. And again, this woman is middle-aged at this point, later middle-aged, probably still strikingly beautiful. Yeah, but still looks like a former supermodel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. She looks like a former Bond girl. Still mm -hmm. looks great. She owns the, she's a little older. She owns the bookstore. She has a like a huge bowl of like figs or dates on her counter and she gives Kim one and Kim's like, "Oh, yes, thank you. I didn't have any breakfast or right. something." <laughs> and then like Kim spits the pit out into her hand and the woman's like, "Oh, let me get that." Like it's just so what an random. Odd, it comes random. Up, and it's like I, we concentrate on this to the point where I thought it might be significant. And I guess maybe it, it kind was. of is. I, I think there's kind of a suggestion that the 
dates are drugged or like magically infused because after this Kim starts feeling kind of woozy and, yeah. and lightheaded. But does this woman just offer these to all of her customers? I know, like, right? Here, have have one of my acid magical dates. acid dates. Yeah. <laughs> 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 she has, and she doesn't just have one bowl. She has three bowls of these yes. right next to each other on the counter. I wasn't and, sure. And this woman, and she acts weird from the beginning. Like she forces, like Kim wants to buy a book on unexplained phenomenon because of the spontaneous combustion or whatever. But this woman, FEMA, forces her to take another book that's titled trichiation of the virgin goddess <laughs> okay mm-hmm. and and they've just met and she invites her to a picnic and kisses her and like kim doesn't even like act like this is weird no i thought oh god is this are they gonna make out because <laughs> kim's kind of looking at her and she's kind of it's got like a glint gleam in her eye and that's when i was like okay well the dates must be there must be like some effect Roofied. from the dates or something. I don't know. But then Kim goes to the rooftop, right? Yeah. Uh, and goes, I mean, part of her investigation, it's so cute, right? Like what? The police didn't look at any of this and like, you're going to find anything up there. You know, she walks over to the edge and she stupidly stands on the edge of the roof. I don't yeah. know. She's trying to get into the mind of the person. I don't know how this helps a news reporter get to the bottom of the story. But well, anyway. especially since she's clearly feeling dizzy right (laughs) maybe don't step up onto the ledge of the building when you're about to pass out yeah but then ricky is up there too and i guess we later find out he kind of maybe lives up there i think so because there's like a tent with some things in it and a guy character makes but anyway he's up there too and he kind of walks around with her for a little bit and you know it's just so awkward because normal people in a situation like this she just gets off the roof. She's kind of dizzy. She, this weird guy who has been weird to her downstairs is suddenly has followed her up there. She'd be getting the hell out. Right. She'd be freaked out, but she's not really. She just kind of like looks at him and kind of backs up while he goes to a, like a vent pipe that's yeah. sticking up on the roof, uh-huh. reaches inside. There are a whole bunch of bugs on his hand and on his head all of a sudden, and suddenly she has bugs on her hand that she pushes off, and he pulls out this long slug-like creature. I called it a slug too, but it's not because no, it's got it it's legs. got like it's more like yeah, it has legs, and later pupa. you see it. It's kind of got like teeth. Ugh. It's gross and it's and enormous. Just clicking around, I think actually because. Because um, the, the sequel to this one, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker or whatever, uh-huh. I swear it's the same slug, right? There's like a... Except it's a toy version. Toy yeah. version of the same thing. And and it's it's, it's actually, I think Yuzna had something to do with that. And definitely Screaming Mad George the, did the, the special effects for that one too. Anyway, yeah, he just sh- sort of shoves this in her face and, and in our face as the camera. And we're all supposed to go, ooh, gross, what the hell? And then she leaves. And goes back to her apartment, which is all of a sudden now infested with bugs. This is all so random. Like, eventually there's kind of explanations for all of this, but it just feels so random. Like, why all of a sudden now are there bugs everywhere? Yeah. It's weird. So she initially is going, she's supposed to go over to Hank's parents' house for like a Christmas dinner. And initially she's going to stand him up. The bugs are all over her apartment. She's looking at the weird book that 
the lady gave her and one of the pages of the book has a spiral and it says that the spiral is the symbol of women's power and she that she looks at the spaghetti that she's made and it's you know shaped in a spiral and there's bugs everywhere and so i guess because there's bugs in her dinner she go she decides to go um to hank's parents and then there's a really weird scene of her at hank's parents house and I mean, I guess it's just exposition for later, but we meet Hank's got a little brother who's a kid. I mean, Hank is a grown man, but his little brother is probably supposed to be like, I don't know, 12, 13. Yeah. Little brother. <laughs> it's so weird. Little brother is played by, uh, Usna's, I assume son. I don't know. They have the same last name. Has to so be. Yeah. I assume or they're related. Nephew, some way. maybe. Who knows? And yeah. Well, I mean, he's a kid and he's a kid actor and he's fine. He doesn't have a whole lot to do cute kid mm-hmm. whatever and then like again hammering a nail the dad goes off on this big sexist rant well i think a woman's place is in the home raising a family you know woman was made from the rib of man i uh, i think that's in your bible too huh dad that's a myth it's an allegory it's all relative you know, it's the trouble with you kids today. You know, you think everything is relative. Well, let me tell you something, pal. It is goddamned real. And you had better believe that. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, Kim Lee, I mean, she's polite, but she eventually finds a way to get out of there. And they go out, and she's pissed at him because he didn't stand up for her for the story that she wanted and like they kind of start kissing and he starts pulling up, like putting his hand up her skirt, like right there in the street, right there outside in front of the house, <laughs> I, like in front of his parents' house. Like, yeah, Rose, calm down. And, and, and she gets mad at him, but like, she's like, why are you always trying to get on top of me? Which, you know, it looked like they had good sex. And apparently like later, what's her name? The weird, lady fema said just out of the blue is like your boyfriend hank i bet you guys have really good sex right and she's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. okay but still are, are you gonna mount me in the street right outside your parents house like cool off so she gets pissed and she goes back home and she looks at the book more and she sees something about the fire of lilith and and she sees an image, just a drawing of a woman who is on fire from like the waist down. Yeah, it's very evocative of. I mean, it. One thing about this body that we saw, this mannequin that we saw charring, you know, burning on the ground in the very beginning of the movie, is that there did seem to be a lot of fire on the bottom half, right? Like her, her stomach, yeah. her waist seemed to be kind of gutted by the fire. So I still don't really get that. I don't get any of that. No, I mean, I. It only gets weirder. Yeah, it, it does only get weirder. I, I do understand the story. I mean, right after that, there's an enormous, like, dog-sized cockroach under her bed, and she's, like, chasing it around, tearing up her apartment. Does I mean, seems freaked out like there's a bug, but not as freaked out as I would be if there was a dog-sized cockroach running around my house. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of then- weird. Her friend comes over, right? Checks on her in the morning, Janice, yeah. Because she didn't go to work, and... You know, she kind of walks in. Oh, man, these scenes are just so awkward because there's just so much standing around staring. She just kind of walks in and kind of helps her flip things over. And um, Well, because the whole, yeah, the whole apartment is destroyed. Yeah. But, 
but like what I don't know what Kim says. She's like, "Oh, it must have been something I ate. It must have been something you ate that, that destroyed, you, destroyed your destroyed entire your apartment. apartment." And like Janice doesn't even bad night. Like, oh, she just well. starts writing furniture. Like, there's life. Oh, okay. And then Kim Craig? goes to FEMA's picnic where she's introduced to a couple of other ladies. This old lady Catherine who describes herself as an old crone. Um, and then this other girl, Jane, um, and they start talking about the woman who died. And Kim is like, I wonder what happened to her. And Jane says she wasn't strong enough. FEMA tells Kim the story of Lilith, which I believe is a true story of Hebrew tradition. She was Adam's first wife. She was made from the same dirt, but she wouldn't let him lay on top of her. Lilith. She left Adam and consorted with the power of night. She was the serpent that tempted Eve, spirit of all that crawls. Okay, so that explains all the creepy crawly bugs mm. and stuff. I noticed this time, I don't think I noticed last time, but did you notice that FEMA had that spiral on her sweater? Yeah, I did. I was surprised the other two didn't. Me too. I, I, I was expecting them to be like wearing uniforms. <laughs> yeah, right. Or I mean, something, right. It's pretty clear, you know, that these three women are kind of like they've got some kind of odd women's group, but but we're watching a horror movie, so we know it's a cult of some kind. Yeah, I mean, I just automatically assumed that it was some sort of coven. Mm-hmm, and, and yeah. I guess in a way it kind of is. I mean, they never explicitly refer to themselves as witches, but they are a congregation of women who do these weird things. So right. I think Coven is fitting. Well, at this point, Hank finds her. He just shows up. Yeah. Hey, I found you. Uh, I'm going to... And he... After... After FEMA kisses her on the mouth. Oh, yeah. Sensually. Yeah. That was weird. I wondered if they had drugged the wine because she kind of lays back down. I think they down. did. And then yeah. Hank immediately shows up. It's like, hey, why weren't you at work? I'm taking you back. So he brings her into work. And now the boss, instead of being pissed off that she's gone, suddenly is like, all right, well, you know what? I'll go ahead and give the story to you after all. <laughs> well, you can work with Hank on it. <laughs> and then Hank kind of turns around and says, no, nah, I'll just let you take the lead, right? He's going to follow around as the photographer. Yeah, yeah. And they go right back again to the street <laughs> to take more pictures and look around. Like, you know, if you're going to be an investigative reporter, you need to kind of start going beyond the scene of the crime. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe talk to some more people. And they go back to the roof and... We get aerial shots, so we see that that spiral is, I don't know if it's painted or etched, whatever, it's on the floor of the roof. But they never say anything about it. They never seem to see it, right? I wonder if they even notice. I'm not sure. Because, like, it's... It's obvious, like, it's painfully obvious that this is, like, set up for some sort of ritual or something. But they never say anything. Like, I I don't even know if they notice that it's there. Yeah. But they reconcile. And after that, Kim visits FEMA's apartment. And FEMA, right in front of Kim, like, she doesn't hide it at all. She puts something in her tea. And then she just has this weird-ass dialogue where she's like, You remind me so much of my daughter. Her name was Lily. No matter what I tried, she always resisted. And we always ended up fighting. And then... (laughs) I bet you and Hank have great sex, yet when it's over, you feel like something is missing. 
You have to get rid of the parasitic power of men to reclaim your own power. Oh. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> who are you and what are you talking about? <laughs> All this like, random jumble of ideas coming out of your mouth one right after the other. It's so I weird. know. And Kim just never, like, she never acts like there's anything weird going on. Every time she's around this woman... The woman gives her something to eat or drink that immediately makes her sick, but I guess it's just a coincidence. <laughs> and then she gives her a date. She's like, oh, you're feeling lightheaded. Eat one of these. That'll make you feel better. And she's like, no, I really don't want to. And she's like, no, no, you, you should eat it. Practically forces her on it. She looks at it in her hand, and it apparently either it looks like it to her or it has actually changed into a cockroach. And she eats it. Yeah, and Fima's like, eat it. <laughs> I thought she was gonna eat it. I thought she was gonna like throw it across the room in disgust, but no, she just it's like, oh, it's a cockroach? Never mind, I'll chomp down on this sucker. And she does and it crunches, like you hear it crunch in her mouth. Yeah. And then okay, so she continues to feel sick and she passes out, and then she's having weird visions and there are like women standing over her. The the women from the picnic are there, but there are also other women that we've never met before. And they undress her, and they mark her with, like, ash, and they draw that spiral on her stomach. And then Ricky is there, and he has one of those big, gross slug things, and he puts it on her abdomen and then covers her up with a blanket. I was trying to do research. There's there's not a whole lot to read about this. There are some interesting things that you can find, but not a whole lot. But just in reading the summary... I was reading a summary. It says Ricky puts that slug on her abdomen and then they cover it up and then it goes in her vagina. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I thought. That's not what I thought at all. I thought that it had crawled in through her navel. Yes. And, and under her skin and up. And then, and then what they're like, she says to her, FEMA says to her, you have to cough it up. You have to spit out the. Your fear. Your fear. like that. Like, what? Your fear of what? Your fear of men? Your fear of of being oppressed by men? Like, I, I didn't get any of this shit. And it's it just plays like a very, very low-rent Rosemary's Baby. It does. Especially because it's surreal without any surreal quality to the filmmaking whatsoever. It's still being filmed like a freaking sitcom. I mean, the lights are a little, are like now a little bluer and, and redder. But it's still very well lit and just very matter-of-factly framed. I will say it made my skin crawl because you see that thing crawling around under her skin and the effects look pretty good. But then she barfs it up. And, like, when she barfs it up, it's twice the size that it was before. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And they they sacrifice a rat over her and drip the blood all over her abdomen. But then Ricky takes the thing that she barfed up And he cuts it in half, and now, like, okay, this is a feminist movie, but then Ricky uses that thing to just spooge all over her face, and and it looks like she's really into it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it's like honey. Or like, it just, it looked like, not Vaseline, (laughs) lube, like petroleum (laughs) gel. Yeah, it did. It looks like lube, yeah. All over. <laughs> well, also, a bunch of milky liquid comes out of her vagina before That's that. later, right? That's later? That's later, because they get her again, yeah. I mean, she wait, She wakes up, she's fully clothed, she's alone for a minute, but then the women all come back, and 
she's like, what do you want from me? And FEMA's like, I want my daughter back. And she runs away. She goes home. She finds Hank asleep in a long nightshirt like he's in like the night before Christmas or something. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's the 1940s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't this part was very confusing. Like she's mad at him for some reason and they fight and she's acting really weird but then all of a sudden it's like she comes back to her senses but then she's acting really strangely seductive. Yeah. And she's like I like to touch you when you're sleeping, make you hard. Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But he just eventually just kind of submits to it. Yeah. And they're both, I mean, they're, she's rubbing all up on him. They're laying in bed and Ricky comes in and watches them for a little while. They're totally oblivious. And then he sits down on the bed and turns the TV on. And what he's watching on the TV is Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. And mm. he's cra- he, like he's laughing and he's like, ha ha, killer Santa Claus. But when they realize he's there, they freak out. Hank tries to fight him off, but ends up getting killed. But it doesn't seem like Ricky had any intention of killing yeah. Hank. He was just there to get her and Hank got in the way and was like beating on him. So he fought back violently and ended up killing him. Eventually, Janice, the friend, calls and Kim is able to answer the phone long enough to say, call the police, I'm being attacked. Well, then Janice shows up, and it turns out she's in on it. She tells Ricky to take Kim back to FEMA, and she'll stay there and clean everything up. And so that's what happens. And that's when we that's when we get into just the crazy, crazy. Like, like it's not well, already been crazy at this point, but no, it just, just amps it up to 11 at it, this it's point. It's crazy and baffling. And I love here how Jan- all Janice has to do is uh, say to Kim, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. You just go to Ricky. Yeah. Suddenly Kim is cool with all this. Right, she's like, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. never mind. Never mind the guy who just killed my boyfriend and r- chased me all over the uh, apartment with a knife. You-, you say he's cool, no problem. Ricky throws her in a meat locker, which ends up being the butcher's meat locker from when we saw before. Oh, boy. She goes to sleep, and she wakes up being prepared by these women. Then, I had forgotten this part, and you know how I feel about sexual assault in movies. I don't like it. But in this movie, like, everything is so weird. Like, I don't know. It almost just didn't even seem real. Yeah. Ricky is apparently naked except for they put this huge phallic mask on him i know and i was like oh god please don't tell me he's gonna i know rape her with this long nose yeah it was disgusting and and janice is there and it's a ceremony and somebody says to her it's not easy to give birth to yourself and then ricky rapes her and it is uncomfortable to watch but the way it's shot it's not terribly gratuitous you you don't see anything below shoulder level but you know what's happening but it's just so surreal especially with clint howard like his ass thrusting her yeah i didn't need to see that yeah (laughs) oh yeah i guess you do see that i forgot about that yeah so when that's all over she wakes up naked on the floor alone and then all of a sudden I still don't know if this is actually happening. I think it is actually happening. But in the moment, I didn't know if it was really happening or if she was hallucinating. Her body starts contorting society style. Yes. If you haven't seen society, you don't know what I mean. But, like, the body is just, like, Melding into itself. 
Yeah. Yeah. Her fingers start, she holds her hands up and her fingers start going in all crazy different directions, which was actually a really cool effect and pretty creepy. And then they like wrap up into themselves, like join together. And then her legs, I don't know, she becomes kind of this weird ass um, mermaid for a minute and her feet are, are flipping backwards and everything's bending unnaturally and kind of melding together. And then it all kind of gets interrupted by the uh, the butcher, right? He just suddenly storms in. And you're like, oh, okay, he's part of it as well. And uh, all of that kind of stops. What does he say to her? Well, he says, you have been initiated. You go now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so she immediately goes to the bookstore. Like, what? Why These are the you... women that just did this to you. And she's like... Ah, I think I must be hallucinating. Like, mm. <laughs> lady, you're, and, and then when they tell her she's not, she's like, wait, does that mean Hank's really dead? <laughs> they're like, oh, Hank's just a man. Who cares? Yes. <laughs> like, she's, she's not freaking out. Like, freak out, lady. She calls a detective to the, to the apartment and the detective, is like, oh, there's a crazy woman again because everything is yeah. spotless. Everything's been completely cleaned up. And and we find out that the jumper from the beginning was FEMA's daughter. And FEMA says, you've come to take her place, blah, blah, blah. All right, whatever. Kim is confused and sad about Hank. And then they, the women tell her that for the final part of her initiation, she has to sacrifice a man. I don't know. It has something to do with her fear. And then they're like didn't Hank have a brother? And she's like, Lonnie? And they're like, yeah, go get him. (laughs) (laughs) But after she can't convince the cop that anything's going on, she runs out of her house, I guess, and she sees Ricky waiting for her. So she runs to a motel and like sneaks in a room that a maid left open and she's hiding from him. But then she sees Kent or FEMA on the TV, like, you have to do it. You have to make the sacrifice. And then there's more weird body contortion stuff. And her feet start to burn, like like she's catching on fire. So she goes and jumps in the shower, and Ricky comes in. And he's like, you have to do what she says, and, and then you'll be okay. And she's like, okay, fine, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> so Ricky drives her in a kidnapper van to... Hank's parents' house to get Lonnie. And this part bothered me. Like, I get why they did it. You know, it's it's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay. But she lures Lonnie out. They have him. Done. Like, great. Yeah. Go on. Sacrifice him. Drive off. But instead, Ricky goes into the house and strangles the parents with Christmas lights and sets the house on fire. Yeah. So so they're dead. And so they they end up back on the rooftop of the bookstore and they're doing this ceremony and Lonnie is crying and begging. I thought this kid did a good job. He did a great job. You know, he's, he's got a very limited role, but like I felt bad for him. He doesn't have any idea what's going on. And then there are tons of those giant slugs around for unexplained reasons. And the women are all like, they hand Kim a knife and they're like, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) (laughs) But instead of stabbing Lonnie, instead she stabs uh, FEMA. 
and unties Lonnie and tells him to run. And then FEMA starts to go after Kim, but Ricky gets in between them and, and says, no, you don't hurt her. And so FEMA stabs him and he falls into like the slug pit or something. <laughs> the slug pit. <laughs> Suddenly there are tons of slu- of these giant slugs who start just eating away at his stomach. And then her hands fuse together. Kim's hands fuse together again. And she starts to burn like her hands start to burn. But she takes her fused together hands and plunges them into FEMA's wound. And FEMA bursts into flames and jumps off the roof. In the plot summary I read, it said apparently thrusting that fire into FEMA transferred the curse of Lilith to her. All right, whatever. Uh-huh. Okay. She, she she starts burning. Kim stops burning. She falls off, and then there's all the other women are just standing around like they don't know what to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> like not angry, not upset, just like huh. Oh. <laughs> well, that happened. I mean, they're pretty yeah. much stand-ins for the audience at this point. I, I didn't know what right. was going on either. And that's that's it, right? The movie's done. Well, except for except for Kim walks over to Lonnie, who she's just kidnapped, and they <laughs> embrace, and she says, don't worry, it's all over now. Your entire family is dead, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your mother now. (laughs) So pick this apart for me. What does it mean? I still am completely lost. They did some ceremony on FEMA's daughter for some reason, and she wasn't strong enough to take it. So she ended up bursting into flames and falling off the roof. So now that FEMA's without a daughter, she needs a new person to somehow take her daughter's place in some way, shape, or form? Yeah. So they've chosen Kim for that, and that involves raping her and sticking slugs in her and telling her that she's got to get something out of her, the the fear of men or the fear of, I don't know what, some kind of fear? Uh Uh-huh. And... To complete this, this, so she's being initiated into what? I'm not sure. Her daughterness. And then her final step is that she has to murder a man, but her boyfriend wasn't good enough. I mean, they did kill him, but I guess they've got to. I think she has to do it. She has to do it. She's got to stab him. And then what would happen? Would she like transform into this woman's daughter? Uh, that part I'm not entirely sure. The, the, we did get a little bit of exposition about halfway through the movie where FEMA tells Kim that she and her daughter were estranged for a long time. But then when the girl was an adult, they reconnected. And the way that I understood it was FEMA was trying to get her daughter into this coven that she was already, that FEMA was already in. And I imagine that in order to do that, the daughter, Lily, Lilith, had to do the same ritual that they were trying to get Kim to do. Oh, and she wasn't strong enough to stab the well, man or whatever. Well, they, they say, right, they say she wasn't strong enough, but I imagine it was the same thing. Just like Kim, she didn't want to kill somebody, and that's why she burst into flame and fell off. And so, yes, I think that FEMA was trying to replace her. Now, what I don't really understand is, would Lilith's spirit, like come into Kim because that seemed like that was kind of suggested in that mm-hmm. weird apartment scene 
with her and Hank when they were fighting. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't understand that. I mean, I don't understand the thematic point we're trying to make. Like we said earlier, you really got hit over the head with these sort of surface feminist, ham-fisted feminist ideas of women's role and trying to break free of man's grip on them and control. But I don't really see how that played out in the whole notion of their their little coven or their ritual. It was all very personal, just FEMA's daughter kind of stuff. I also, I, I gosh, every time, not every time, but a lot of times when we record these podcasts, I'm very much aware of the fact that we're recording this and we're going to put it out in the world. And I want to make sure that people understand us. I, I think that you and I would both identify as feminists. Yeah, for We sure. both love women. We both respect women. We both think that women deserve everything that men deserve and more. So when we say ham-fisted feminist stuff... We're talking about the quality of the filmmaking. Yeah, and, uh, the, the right. The skill right. of the writer. I mean, th- these topics deserve better treatment <laughs> right. than they're getting here, you know? I mean, it's clear to us that there's there's the writer... And producer of this film is attempting to make some kind of message along these lines, but it's impossible for us to unpack it, really, I think. I right, mean, right. So it's very, it's very ineffective in that way, I think. It kind of falls flat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as a message, you know, as a movie with a message, it doesn't work. Um, but it's, it's a wackadoodle ride. It is. It is. I'm just fascinated by it. Society ultimately is a better and even weirder movie, but it's more cohesive in, in, in its theme too. It's just, it's batshit crazy, but all in a great way. I mean, but see, that's a message movie too. That mm -hmm. movie's all about materialism and, and classism and all that stuff, but it does. It, it works better and it's even crazier than this but like i said they are basically spiritual siblings i mean there are so many similarities and like i said from the beginning this is not a good movie but i I really like (laughs) i don't know i mean maybe now we we maybe now we've talked about it in enough detail that you really don't need to but i would encourage people who i know are horror fans to watch this because I just think yeah. it's it's out there. It's crazy. It's a it's it's an outlier. I understand that Silent Night Deadly Night Five was a little bit different too, but at least there you know Mickey Rooney in a Santa suit trying to kill people by the end of the movie. Yeah. You don't get any of that. I mean, Christmas is secondary. Completely this really isn't much of a Christmas movie. movie. It's not going to put you in the holiday spirit. No. Heck, the the movie we reviewed last week, Don't Open Till Christmas, at least had Christmas spirit throughout it. There are Christmas trees and Christmas decorations and carols and things throughout the whole movie. Um, but it wasn't nearly as entertaining, right? Oddly entertaining to watch. And I would I would kind of preface, I would kind of tack on to what you said. If you're into goofy horror. Not the kind of horror that's going to scare you, right? Then, yeah, this you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to love it better than Don't Open Till Christmas, which was just dumb. Yeah, I was excited to watch it again, and I was excited to talk about it. And I'm glad uh, that we did. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, we've still got a couple of holiday movies on the way. I think, you know, we've got some ideas, but uh, if you want to get in touch with us here in the next week or so, and and, uh, if you give us a suggestion that trumps the things that we uh, already have in mind, 
we are not at all opposed to changing our plans. Yeah. <laughs> we change our plans at the last minute all the time. So uh, shoot us a message. Let us know. If you've seen this movie and you want to talk about it, uh, leave a message uh, on our Facebook page or, or DM us. As always, you know, we love to spread the love and we hope that you do too. So uh, if you want to share this with uh, your friends, let them know. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, maybe they will too. You can find us everywhere. You can find podcasts. Google it. Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast. You'll find us all over the place. So we'll be back next week with another holiday movie. But until then, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Ah!